Pacific. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Good Morning New York. I welcome my listeners from the United States and around the world to our show this morning. We are live, as usual, from Times Square in New York, Blast Off Productions. So before we get started, I just wanted to take a shout-out to my project in Tulum, Mexico, uh, Ana Tulum. I mention it every couple of weeks. We are in full swing down there in the Mexican Caribbean. Go to my website, call me, email me, text me, tweet me, whatever, to get further information because it is a, a, a wonderful project. Uh, the entrance pri- entrance prices are, I think, one hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars to buy a spectacular one bedroom condo near the ocean, and it goes up to two hundred something thousand for two bedrooms. I got to say, I was there not too long ago, and the complex, uh, the the development, the resort is absolutely amazing. How's that going? It's going very well. Sales are brisk. You know, listen, I've said it for many many years. It's my favorite place in the Northeast for beachy kind of weather. Yeah. Uh, the Caribbean has always been my favorite, and you add the, the Mexican flavor to that in the Yucatan Peninsula, and it doesn't get any better than that. So, And I think a lot of people around the world feel the same as me. It's a very European, it's a very um, American place for uh, a tourist, and it's a wonderful place to spend several days. So if you have any, any, inform- any questions and want further information, please do Give me a call. We are going to talk to the full panel uh, this morning on our typical hot topics in real estate. But first, let's get to some of the news items. Actress Julia Roberts has reportedly sold her Greenwich Village pad for $5.3 million within days of putting it on the market this past summer, getting nearly $1 million more than the original asking price. That's amazing. The 2,000-square-foot penthouse at 45 West 10th Street has a beachy kind of Hamptons feel with lots of light a rooftop terrace with World uh, Trade Center views, and a wood-burning fireplace. The Pretty Woman star bought it in 2010 for $3.89 million. She still, though, owns an apartment in Gramercy Park, but unloaded the village penthouse because she's spending much more time in Los Angeles these days. This, according to the Daily News, uh, she has a home in Malibu with her husband, Danny Motor, and her children. Standing at 45 stories, 160 Madison offers luxury rental residences in Nomad at the nexus of Chelsea, Gramercy, and Midtown. Designed by Slice Architects with interiors of sophistication by Philip Cotter, 160 Madison features a unique octagon shape and 45-degree angle to the avenue, resulting in expansive game-changing views of the city. I'm not so sure I like octagonal angles and, and whatever. Game-changing, it says. Well, yeah, it's right. game-changing, but at, the, at that kind of you know section of Nomad, Chelsea, Gramercy, and Midtown, I don't know. I don't, I'm not into funky when it comes to buildings. Residences, <laughs> though, many with 12-foot ceilings feature floor-to-ceiling windows, white 
oak floors and spacious layouts. Residents have access to over 20,000 square feet of amenities, including the top floor 360 lounge, it's called, featuring an indoor fireplace and two rooftop terraces. Also included is the 14,000 square feet park lounge, which is surrounded by the building's elevated private park. Additional amenities include a fitness center overlooking the private park, valet and concierge services, bicycle storage, and a fully attended lobby. In another sign of softening at the top end of the luxury residential market, Kushner Companies is slashing the price of Penthouse One at its Puck Building in Soho, one of the most expensive listings in the city. The developer is now asking $58.5 million for the 7,200-square-foot condominium. That's down from $66 million Kushner originally asked when he listed it a year ago. That's an 11% drop, according to Curbed. The four-bedroom apartment, one of six penthouses at the building, features a wine cellar, a home theater, and 5,000 square feet of outdoor space, which includes an outdoor spa and yoga lawn. The Corcoran Group is now marketing uh, that listing. Kushner added the six penthouses to the landmark building uh, located at 295 Lafayette Street with sales opening in 2013. Uh, Another apartment at the building, Penthouse 2, went into contract last week for $35 million. It's certainly not been a brisk sale for those penthouses at the Puck Building. He's changed uh, brokerage houses now at Corcoran. So let's see what we do with these. We like the Puck Building, though. The Puck Building is wonderful, and yeah. I was a little disappointed when they converted to condominiums to Me begin too. with. But as everything else is going I in this know. town, one by one, they're all changing. The Real Deal, long considered the Bible of New York and South Florida real estate and finance, is thrilled to bring its award-winning mix of breaking news and in-depth analysis to Los Angeles. The Real Deal's publisher said, as the county sees an unprecedented amount of development with both domestic and foreign capital continuing to flood the area, it's all the more important that L.A.'s complex and varied submarkets get the serious journalistic coverage they deserve. So let's remember, they started in New York, they they grew into Miami, and they are now in Los Angeles. Extel's 33-story luxury tower at Lincoln Square is finally open, and so is its controversial entrance for subsidized residents, popularly known as the Poor Door. We've reported, reported this on this program many times. The building has a total of 55 low-income units, the residents of which must use a separate entrance, Some of those residents told the New York Post that the disparities are obvious. The thing they don't like the most is they don't have amenities, uh, according to several renters uh, in their report to the Post. They added that the affordable units lack dishwashers, doormen, or light fixtures in bedrooms and living rooms. Nevertheless, they feel lucky to have the $1,082 per month two-bedroom apartment in a great building, in a great neighborhood. Low-income renters have access only to a bike storage closet, an unfinished laundry room, and a common space that faces a courtyard they're not allowed to enter. On the other side of the building, the condo residents have access to two gyms, a pool, a movie theater, a bowling alley, and doormen. Now, I just recently closed a unit in that building, and I was over there for sort of a little house, <clears throat> excuse me, housewarming party, and i got to tell you something. You, know, you don't even feel like there are two separate entrances. You don't feel like there are two separate buildings, and you don't feel like there are two separate amenities. So, I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's a mind thing with some people or if it's just – you know, because it's been so pressed about that uh, people want to complain about it. But I, I get it. I understand the differences between both. But um, you also know what you sign up for on both ends. What an extraordinary luxury. opportunity to live in a building like that and have a one or two bedroom and be paying like a thousand bucks. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I mean, come the, on. The controversy aside, I pay a ton more than a thousand dollars a month, and I don't have a doorman. 
or a pool. Uh, yeah, Imagine. yeah. Let's yeah. talk about light fixtures in a bedroom. I mean, that's so. Yeah, since that when are there? Yeah, there never is. But there never is anyway. That you stopped know? 15 years ago <laughs> with development. <laughs> it's called bedside lighting or <laughs> table side lighting. I don't have. Maybe I live in an old. You gotta buy lamps when you go into a new development. Yeah. No light fixtures, right? In the hall. None, and my it's pre-development. So my now now owner of this apartment requested. Getting lights put in at five hundred dollars, right? Per um, fixture, isn't that something? Where he wanted it. Wow. So it's not even at eleven million dollars, let alone a thousand dollar rental. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, moving on. It's a sad day for the cinephiles in New York City. I was touched by this one. According to a report in the New York Post, the long embattled Ziegfeld Theater is going to close. Oh, God. Oh, no. That's terrible. And will eventually be reborn as a high-end space for society galas and corporate events. It's reopening sometime in 2017 as a corporate event space. No. Well, yes. And unfortunately, a lot of places have gone that way. But the Zigfield Theater, in my opinion, is one of the the classics. I actually attended uh, the opening of Saturday Night Fever there in a big way in the 70s. And then, of course, have gone to many openings and many just regular movies there. But, wow, just passing by the street and not seeing that theater is going to be quite amazing. I can't even imagine. And why is it closing? We all know the answer to that. Rent. Yeah. Lower Manhattan will receive $176 million in funds for flood protection, this according to the New York Times. While the specifics of what this protection entails has not yet been decided, the funds awarded to the city by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development will cover the shoreline stretching from Montgomery Street on the Lower East Side to the tip of Battery Park City. Mayor de Blasio has crafted a deal to make good on one of his earliest promises in office, scaling back the city's horse carriage industry. This has been very controversial for many years through many administrations. Should it be approved by the city council, an agreement with the Teamsters Union of the horse carriage industry will reduce the number of working horses from 220 to 95 and relocate the horses' stables in Midtown West to a city-owned building in Central Park near the 85th Street Transverse. The move to use public parkland for private industry has raised red flags, though, with park advocates. This was not the way the the public parkland was intended to be used, according to the executive director of New Yorkers for Parks, Tupper Thomas, and he told that to New York Times. The Central Park Conservancy, which oversees the 843-acre green space, also vehemently opposes the plan. Well, I tell you something. I think it's best for the animals involved to get them off the streets in a safe environment in the park. And the reduction is not a bad thing either. Again, it's been a very controversial subject for many years here in New York City, obviously with both sides of the um, the equation, and everybody has an opinion. Have you ever had the feeling that someone really doesn't want to own his piece of real estate anymore? I think we all have in this business. Well, Bobby Flay, the Food Network store, apparently really doesn't want his Chelsea duplex anymore and is eager to get that out of his um, way and has listed it twice, according to the New York Post. Flay got the 8th and ninth floor three-bedroom, three-bathroom unit at the Chelsea Mercantile in his divorce from SVU actress Stephanie March uh, in October reported that he put it on the market for sale at $7.95 million. Having no luck with that, he also listed it as a rental recently for $22.5 million, according to the Post. It comes with a top-of-the-line chef's kitchen, and if it's good enough for Bobby, it's going to be good enough for you. And I'm sure it's going to be good enough for me, but of course I can't afford that. Can you imagine $22,500 $22, a month rent? Interesting. 
I mean, I've rented higher than that or more than that, but you know, when I think about this thing, this stuff, it's really kind of incredible. Anyway, uh, and the Big Apple might have it all, but it definitely doesn't have good weather, especially now. Fed up with cold, dark days, deep-pocketed New Yorkers are buying second homes in sunny Miami. And despite reports of a market slowdown, there are still plenty of projects both ready for occupancy and some that are still in development. The residences currently available range in style and taste from large scale to small, Riverside to oceanfront, Fort Lauderdale to South Beach. Builders anticipate buyers of all demands and all budgets. And I just read a report yesterday, um, I think it was in The Real Deal, that the market in South Florida is absolutely on fire mm-hmm. and out of control. And, you know, listen, it's come back a long while ago, but it's interesting to see just how it is sustaining and how it seems to be breaking all records, and especially from a development perspective, not only are people buying apartments and houses in the South Florida area, but development and building continues. Mm-hmm. Is that in the last month or two as well that you're hearing it's still booming? Uh, I'd say since December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what's interesting is yeah. the dollar is so strong that I wonder how the South American market, who tends to buy quite a few apartments in Miami, is is uh, being affected. Well, I want that's what I wanted to ask you guys because <clears throat> in this article that I read, it really didn't des- uh, describe who the buyer uh, was. Then we can all assume that it's you know the foreign buyer as usual. But is it mm-hmm. the South American buyer or is it the the Chinese buyer still or are the Russians back? Because for a while they were in uh, great demand and then slowed down for obvious reasons. But who's buying in South Florida these days? I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. true too. I, I'm, Element has a big presence down there. Mm-hmm. I have to say it's the sixth borough. We've all yeah. said that before, but it's really kind of hot. Uh, it's they kind of making really Manhattan nice look, yeah, Element not as cool. had a really cool. nice display at Art Basel. Yeah, we have great developments yeah. down there. We we did previews of all of them. I go down once a year to, to preview. And it's, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely foreign buyers, but I feel like definitely domestic mm-hmm. People well, buying Pied-a-Terre, second homes, yeah. and, and a lot of brokers moving down there to do real estate down there in dual license. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because yeah, the real estate board lot. of New York keeps pushing their Florida license. You're getting the emails, yeah. right? I yeah. keep getting yeah. the emails at least <laughs> yeah. once a week. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, listen, I, Rachel, you're correct. I mean, a, a lot of domestic people are buying. We talked about this, I don't know, a week or two ago on the program. There are uh, big demand, rather, for secondary homes. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, we have to take our first break already. Can't believe this. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are here with a full panel today. Uh, actually, Deborah is on her way, and we have terrible weather-related traffic problems. But uh, Perul is here, Perul Brombat from Compass, uh, Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray, uh, Blue Realty Group, and now Lundgren from Compass, Deborah Hoffman from Town is on her way. Anyway, with the city still on the mend from Hurricane Sandy, climate change has become a hot topic of conversation. <clears throat> the New York City panel on climate change graphs some projections this year about what New York City might be like in 2050. And needless to say, they're alarming, with temperatures expected to rise between 4.1 and 5.7 degrees and sea levels that are expected to rise 11 to 21 inches. Things might just get a little hotter and wetter in the decades to come. So, you know, my question is, and I think we talked about this a a while ago on the program, uh, I, in particular, work in a building. I sell most of the units in a building that have a lot of first-floor Units and the city is rezoning or remapping the flood zone um, mm. charts. And you know, a lot of first floor apartments in these neighborhoods are going to be affected and in all neighborhoods. So, you know, my question is, you know, with this climate change, and everybody has seen it, especially, you know, in the last week or two, you know, how does how is this going to put a damper on, you know, the real estate market going forward? I mean, any any kind of thoughts on that? I mean, where where are we with this? One uh, one thing I just wanted to say, and I'm curious of the panel's opinion, is when Hurricane Sandy happened, I noticed that there was for for a moment anyway, a change in the consciousness where people would actually think about this kind of thing. And I felt like I had some buyers that maybe thought twice about living in certain areas, like the financial district, for example. But I have to say, since then, <laughs> it and I, 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 if I, you would have asked me, I would have guessed that it would have lasted longer and that it would have remained in the consciousness. But it seems like since then we're back to normal, and I don't really hear that those comments anymore. There are certain buyers that still may mention it, but it doesn't seem to be affecting prices. Do you guys agree? I don't really see yeah. it. Not at the moment. However, you know, we've had this conversation <clears throat> in the past where, um, you know, there was a conversation we had about insurance. Uh, and how how this rezoning will affect insurance if somebody buys a first floor apartment, and I think Rachel and I pretty much agreed on the opinion that um, that it seems that as much as it's like anything else, you know. So if common charges go up in a building or whatnot, good brokers are always on top of that, understand if it's an assessment or whatnot, and then um, accordingly we advise our buyers, and um, you know it'll affect the price to a small degree, um, probably first floor, floor units will sell a little bit cheaper. But overall, it's not going to you know, be some sort of a stop in people wanting to buy first floor I, I think getting back to Phil's, um, Phil's comment for a minute, I agree with you. And I think you know, the problem here is you know, New Yorkers have a short-term memory. And in a lot of cases, it's a good thing uh, because you know, immediately people said, no, I think we're going to hold off, certainly in certain areas. Because what a lot of people outside of New York City don't really understand or even know is that a, the, a great portion of lower Manhattan is 
under sea level or below yeah. sea level. So any little blip in 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 a wave or, or or whatever, you have major flooding, and that's with a minor storm. So you know if you have a major kind of storm like Sandy was, storm surges can be very detrimental, and in that case, almost tragic. Yeah, I was going to bring up two neighborhoods. I obviously don't know the deal on all the neighborhoods in the city at all, but one of the things, and I'm not a meteorologist, but there happens to be this thing happening with pressure consistently with storms that's never kind of taken place before, and that's what makes stuff rise. Remember when Sandy, I lived in financial district at the time, but thankfully at the peak, so I was at the highest level, and we sat there, and the storm was happening. There was nothing happening downtown. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then waters were coming in at us because of that pressure mm-hmm. thing. So, but to answer your question, I have friends that have really community friends that have owned in the Lower East Village for a long time. And they've had their family, their friends come in. And so there's people and there's these buildings going co-op that are not your traditional co-ops at all. And so they're more lenient. And, and then people that own in the seaport. And those folks that I know are going to sell. <laughs> Their long-term plans they bought, they were never moving. They were so happy, and the seaport is awesome. And so are parts of, of Lower East. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not going to – they can't. They're not going to – their kids aren't going to grow up there. I just, so you know, they do I, have I, that I just get mind. concerned because even with this latest snowfall, we had 26 points, some 20 – whatever we had, 26 inches of snow. And uh, they were concerned at one point with storm surge. And again, I think because of the, the overall climate change in this world – uh, our storms here in New York City can get or will be getting a lot more severe. And again, especially when it comes to storm surges and water levels, and when you're starting with land that's below sea level to begin with, it's potentially quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. So did you want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, I think I agree with what, what Phil's saying. And, you know, people might for sure leave the seaport or, you know, far east in the East Village. But at the end of the day, you know, people might have that sentiment for a little while. And if they leave, then a new group of people mm-hmm. will just kind of pioneer in that area. It, it, new York is very resilient totally. in that fact. And, you know, it might spook people that, you know, Sandy had all this, you know, flooding for a couple months. And then, you know, short-term memory New Yorkers, eight months later, they're like, oh, well, let's go to this building. It's like, you know, a year ago, you wouldn't have touched that, you know? <laughs> but you know, I think that's kind of the sentiment of of New Yorkers. And they will always pioneer in these, you know, various neighborhoods. And speaking about the weather, it's like, you know, I feel like just from the last couple of years, it's like less storms more mega storms, more impactful. Like Jonas was was a very big blizzard that we just had with what twenty six inches, which mm-hmm. is, you know, absolutely incredible. And then the Sandy, which had you know pressure and you know the flooding and all that stuff. So less general storms, but more bigger storms, which kind of makes people panic. But at the end of the day, it's still New York, and people are going to be moving into those areas and selling and trading by, regardless. By, by, by the way, I said this the other day. Nobody had an answer for me. But when did we start naming snowstorms? I never saw that before. Jonas was I the saw first. Jonas and I thought, are they talking about somebody? I mean, I, the same what are thing. they talking about? Yeah, I agree. We're not talking about a hurricane. We're not talking about a tornado. When, it's, when it's that serious, they're going to start naming them, I guess, right? Also, welcome to the media. Welcome to That's the media. That's true. Right. Hey, Jonas is coming. Well, Let's said. give it a name. It makes it more personal. Well, you could hashtag right. that. Engages we more fear. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Or, or what was it? Um, Blizzard 2016 was the other hashtag yeah, that yeah. was going around New York City. But actually, Jonas is not a bad name choice, so I kind of <laughs> like that one. Anyway, moving on. There are four bits of information New Yorkers. I love these stories. There are four bits of information New Yorkers exchange upon meeting each other. Name, job, neighborhood they live in, and inevitably their rent. It's a phenomenon unique to New York City and one people love to talk about at any 
cocktail party, any holiday party, any birthday party, any bar, you know, whatever. This year, uh, this year's second most commented post concerned just that. Over 100 people turned out to share their uh, rent stories and New York stories in a Friday open th- thread. So, you know, what? The, I beg the question, why is this always on the minds of every New Yorker and why is this always a New York conversation? Always a New York conversation. No, I was going to say, I think it's because uh, renting an apartment in New York is such I mean, it's great a, for us real estate agents because we can jump just, in and potentially find a customer. Right. Oh, did right. I overhear you talking about Or they want to throw right? things yeah. at you. Uh, exactly. <laughs> One or the um, other. Either way. But uh, I think uh, renting an apartment in New York City is so stressful and it is so difficult to do. And even you tell people how stressful it is and they go through it and they're like, oh my gosh, this process is just so stressful. They want to talk about it. It's almost therapy. So then they get into a, <laughs> a cocktail party and they just want to talk about the deal they got, the broker that screwed them over, the fee that they paid, <laughs> the broker fee that they paid, the broker fee they didn't pay. They On Craigslist, they got this amazing deal. That's always, you know, Craigslist is known to have so many scams. But the thing about Craigslist, the reason why it lives on is because you could still randomly get that deal. It's, like, it's like vintage yeah. clothing. Right. <laughs> it is, you know. I mean, you would have go to racks go. racks and racks and you, you may, find that one. You, <laughs> you may have to go through 20 scams yeah, to get yeah. there, but it may be there. But if you have the patience, just like everything else in life, especially in real estate right. in New York City, you will find a deal because they do come up, right. whether it's on Craigslist or whatever. And but. I do have to say, I have to, to add the plug to that. Le- the thing about lease break is that we are like the anti-Craigslist. Plug. Mm-hmm. I have to yo, plug it because because that, that is a big difference is that we are like the anti-Craigslist. We, people do come there to, to rent, but they're real apartments with real addresses publicly posted, you know. But that is the thing is that people want to talk about this stuff, I think, you know. Well, it, well I, we, I was going to say, move it over to the sales side because it's no different on the sales side. When you meet people for the first time out, they're always like, so where do you live? So what do you do? So, oh, is that a co-op or a condo? <laughs> so curious. Yeah, It's the same thing. Well, the biggest conversation I've been hearing is rent increases. So once people move into a building and then a year or two later and the whopping increase and now the, the big stressful headache is do I still live in this place that is my home or do I move out? Right. And it is not surprising at all if you, you know, I mean, for me personally, my rent was increased $650 two years ago per month. And then this year, my landlord tried to get another $650 (gasps) per month out of me. I was like, $1,300 a month in two years? Like, are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Um, I was able to talk it down $400 of the $650. So now it's like I was was able to get it down to like $200. Wow. A $650 increase. But – you know, that's what we're talking about. That's a conversation to have. So, exactly. So this I, is therapy right now. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, the biggest that's thing insane. is for all yeah. our listening audience out there, you know, just because a rent increase comes through on, on the next, you know, the re-signing or whatever it is, like the rider, to, to extend your lease, don't take it at face value. I mean, have a conversation with your landlord, um, call your broker you worked with before or call one of us, you know, and and we will ha- happily advise you in what conversation to have because the conversation I had to have was, look, you know, I, I knew that New York Times was going to talk about um, the, like a decline in price in, in what's going on in the market and decline in rental prices. And I said, this Sunday, you're going to see in the, in the New York Times articles that will absolutely talk to you about how this is going to be dropping. And so if you're if this apartment sits on the market for one month, one month it's gonna cost you more Excellent. than if you charge me four hundred and fifty dollars yeah. less per month. And you know and what? they listen to me. 
I think that another thing in terms of us agents and anybody listening that is one is that a lot of people aren't aware of rent control, rent stabilized, and open market apartments. Or even what if the you price rent, points are. Right, but there. if you rent an open market apartment, they can turn around and put your rent up three thousand dollars if they want well, they can they can, they can anything. do anything yeah. they'd like and the same thing happens with unless you get it negotiated in your lease as to what your uh, increase will be by the agent that's operating with you when they get you your home if you're renting a condo they can do whatever they want so these are things that the general public doesn't know and uh, well it, there's a big movement to, this past year uh, de Blasio's administration our mayor here in New York City has returned to the rent-stabilized um, uh, status, thousands and thousands and thousands of apartments. So, and I want to, you know, get into that a little later in another program. But um, just a quick question to Phil before we go to break: yeah. what What is the um, what What is the current state status of the rental market right now? So. Um, the rental market is not as good as some people think. So right. you may see that prices on average are going up, but it's actually not that strong. That's mostly just because of the mix of things. In other words, there's just a lot of higher rentals on the market, so that's why the average price seems higher. But the truth is, is that the vacancy rate is one of the highest it's been in about nine years. So things are a wow. little slow right now. And uh, kind of to Perul's point is that when you're renegotiating your rent, the you often as a tenant – don't know what the market is. And so mm -hmm. the landlord kind of knows that. They give you your normal increase, which you may be, oh, $200 or $100, whatever it is. Not bad. I kind of expect that. But the truth is, look to see what's on the market in your building mm -hmm. or ask your broker or someone you're working with because a lot of times, and the landlords know this, the current market rate of what you are spending or the current market of your apartment is less than what you're spending now. So it's just something really important to know. And the, and the market right now is not that great. Right, I was going to say the concessions are at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. So, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm doing one month free, no broker fee I, right. for the first time in my life because I have to and <clears> my <throat> owners are listening to me. But a lot of renters don't have that upfront money, thousands and thousands of dollars to front for a broker fee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they'd rather pay higher rent right now than one month broker fee or 15%. That's the worst case scenario. All right, let's hold it right there. We have to go to break. We will be right back. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco 
at BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's V Rocco at BLURealtyGroup.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. So nothing really riles New Yorkers like the city's division of wealth, and we've talked about this on and on for for months on the show. A report recently issued by a fellow real estate blog found that there are too many uber-pricey pads on or coming on the market even in light of you know the press saying that the 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 high end market's kind of slowing down for a bit, uh, in relations to other you know listings around the world where people may or may not afford them. So you know how divided are we here in New York City when we're when we talk about you know the Uber wealthy listings? I would say probably ten million dollars and up, uh, or what we would call the average listing, and maybe you know seven million dollars and and under. Uh, you know how divided are we? And and. Are we still at a point where the the high high end is dragging its feet in purchasing? Yeah. So um, the general conversation ha- seems to be that uh, the higher higher end, and I would say about eight million and upwards, is has been really slower, much slower um, towards the end of 2015 into 2016. Uh, like 2014 was an all time high in mm-hmm. that price range. Um, what seems to be happening in some of those, especially new, on the new development end, is um, there are actually a couple of buildings that I know are reconfiguring their unit sizes and making the units smaller and a little more affordable. And I'm not at liberty to say which buildings, but there are buildings that are pivoting in that direction. So um, so I think that developers are starting, some developers are starting to recognize that that market is a little oversaturated because that's where you can get the highest price per square foot. However, the problem is, is how many, I mean, how many buyers are there in that pool? Mm-hmm. And with the dollar being so strong, as I mentioned with the Miami market, Miami not be getting as affected. I was curious about how it was affecting the Miami market. Um, but you're right to Rachel's point. You know, there are so many domestic buyers in Miami from all over the country and, and whatnot who are still trying to buy their a second home. In New York, as much as we have a domestic market, if it's a secondary home, are the is the domestic market really buying up ten million dollar plus units at that rate? Is the real question, mm-hmm. and the answer seems to be no. So if we cannot be attract, if we do not attract the international market here, then those units do not sell. Yeah, exactly. I know a building as well that I I can't speak about, but they have restructured yep. what they're offering. Yes. In, in actually kind of a big way. Of course, they still have the thirty six and fifty million whatever, but they have actually put yep. in more one beds. Right. More two beds versus, you know, the large amount of four and five and six beds. And developers, you know, when you got to think about the development timeline, the process that it takes to to build or erect a building like like these are. Right. So in 2014, they're at all time highs in terms of $8 million plus. Developers are like, all right, let's buy the land now at $800 a foot or $1,000 a foot, which are astronomical Mm -hmm. just for just for buildable square footage land prices. And then they start building these these buildings, and now it's 2016, and now there's a there's a flood of inventory with five bed apartments, and they're now looking at it and they're saying, okay, well, where's the pool? It seems like they most of those people have absorbed into other inventory that has you know mm-hmm. come on market prior to now, yep. and so now they're downsizing. You know, the the five beds are now a two and a three. And then the three beds are now one and a, a two bedroom. And then, you know, hopefully that'll be able to make the, the market move again and make, you know, some of the real estate that's coming on the market more affordable, filling a gap um, that, you know, is certainly there. 
in the affordability factor. But when they reconfigure, they're going to have to lower, I'm assuming, the price per square foot that they thought they were going to get. They have to lower the price per square foot, yes. and that's really where it begins. You know, I was reading an article yesterday, and we'll talk about it next week. I didn't have time to, to include it today, but I'll just briefly mention, in Midtown West, where the Hess Station is, I think it's between 44 mm-hmm. and 45, or 45 and 46, whatever, mm-hmm. they are, you know, it closed a couple of months ago, and I wondered why on earth a very busy oh, Hess really? Station in the middle of Midtown closed why? Because it's been purchased. Mm-hmm. It's going to be developed. And the good news is, and I don't want to say the developer right now. We'll talk about it next week. The good news is they're going to be adjusted down to what we call the normal market, yeah. the domestic buyer. Two bedrooms selling for $1.5 million. So one bedroom's Ooh. under a million. And I say, touche to that. Hooray. That's going to absolutely <coughs> reinvigorate that market in Midtown West and get a whole, I hope, chain of because that's going to sell very quickly. And that's going to start, hopefully, in my opinion, a chain of like buildings around Manhattan. Because, yep. you know, I think we've got too big, too big for our bridges, too full of ourselves. Price per square foot is completely out of control. There will always be that $80 million penthouse, that $25 million penthouse, because, you know, just like I said earlier about short-term memory New Yorkers, we also have long-term memory New Yorkers who get stuck on stuff yeah, and exactly. don't want to give it up. Yeah. So you'll always have that. But, you know, to, to, to directly if you keep it normal, answer, it's better. To directly answer Vince's question of how divided are we, I think that it's a, that's that's the quench, question to precisely answer, which is I think it is becoming a tale of two cities, right? Yeah, I mean, multiple cities for sure. Absolutely. But the tale of two cities really is, is there are the people who need the bread and butter market um, apartments and that market is so underserved and then there will always be a demand for these higher priced apartments what I think has been amazingly different since like the 2008-2009 years is prior to that and correct me if I'm wrong but even on like Park Avenue and whatnot we didn't see price points that were like over 2,800 or 2,500 even a square foot or 3,000 a square foot now the story is becoming that there is a need for apartments that are at 12 and 15 and 18 and 2,000 a square foot, right? On the other hand, we are still going to continue to see these prices that are 6,500 a square foot. So it almost seems Unreal. like the range has just gotten so the much broader. Yeah. And therein, the gap is bigger. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I want to bring up one thing that we talked about last week, and that's what the federal government is planning to do. That's a big deal. In terms of start lifting up the the bed skirts, can the I say the, of the, the covers of the Joe? Oh, yeah. Well, we're gonna do a loop I, on that you know, next week. That hasn't left my mind. There are a lot of loopholes on that one. Yeah, I know. There are a lot of loopholes on that one, and we, we want to you know kind of get into that a little bit next time because that that's a that's a so big maybe the announcement issue. is just hot air. Yeah, but well, there's well let's let's hope it is. But anyway, moving on fast on the heels of Governor Cuomo's announcement of possible widespread. Subway station shutdowns concerns news that the L train service between Brooklyn and Manhattan may be taken offline for from anywhere from uh, three one year to three years. Eee, that's unbelievable. The closure is necessary, the MTA says, to repair damage from 2012's Hurricane Sandy, which flooded the Canarsie Tunnel. Now, if anybody who here is a New Yorker, and we all are, I mean, you take down the L train for one year or three or one month, we have major problems. How, you know how you know we're real estate agents. So how is this going to affect real estate tra- real estate transactions in the Brooklyn corridor? I mean, what I mean, it's the you know three hundred thousand people ride that train a day. That's incredible. Whoa. I don't even. I can't even imagine this. Go ahead, Rachel. Quarter of a million people. Say the, you run to Brooklyn. That's a big a number. Bit. I didn't know it was three hundred thousand people. Wow. Daily. Amazing. The L. I, I actually sold at Northside Piers, which is right on the water in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. and there was a bike tour, and the L train stopped running for three weekends. And I can tell you that 
zero people came to my open house, mm -hmm. zero phone calls, mm -hmm. and it hurt the seller. Mm -hmm. Probably he ended up getting $100,000 below market. Wow. Because oh, of the timing. Yep. And then all of a sudden, it's on the market for 30 days. And you're like, why is it on the market for 30 wow. days? Well, well, there was a bike what tour. A great tangible example. Yeah. And great tangible So example. I That's think there's going to be a flood of listings hitting the market in those areas along the L train. But the problem is that the L train extends all the way to Ridgewood, outer parts into Queens, mm -hmm. where people are moving because that's where they can afford. All the mm -hmm. artists, all the developers, that's where they're moving. And so it's going to be a really interesting and year. And the train is Did supposed to stop at Bedford. That's right. I was just going to say. Which is the busiest of all the L yep. stations. But then all that's of these people that you're talking yes, about. That's like the Union Square. The what Union Square will they Brooklyn. do? Yeah. Oh, well, they say, I mean, of I course, they're going to provide buses and shuttles and they whatever. They need to up the market. They need to up the marketing for that. I think what the city needs to do is really start talking about free shuttles and incentives for people that maybe use carpooling. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I I can't even imagine how you know forgetting the people and the inconvenience who live in those parts. But you know, from a real estate perspective, I yeah. think even though there's a flood of listings coming on the market because people are going to start panicking. You know, I don't want to be, you know, down, but I, I think it's going to devastate that corridor. I can't yeah. even imagine. Northside Piers being one of them because it literally is right on the L train stop. Yeah. But I, what, what is it really – what's the, the long-term ramifications of this? I mean, and I'm sure the city government doesn't necessarily think about the housing issues, but what's the problem here? I, I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that, you know, we've changed in general. The, the the city has. You know, it's not so much I need to be on the Upper East Side next to the six right. train. You could be all right. the way at York. There's Uber, there's Lyft, um, there's what the new taxi cab arrow. Uber um, surging you know, three times yeah. this morning, please. Don't oh, run man. I, that's oh, crazy. So I think, you know, those those types of services are certainly going to see a boom in the area because people actually need to get where they're going. I lived in Brooklyn, for example, <laughs> off the J train and you know that Ooh. that was my main well, way that's to get into one. the city. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, to, to have that completely cut off, that is, you know, devastating, especially when it's cold and people can't get places. And, you know, so I think another, another market is going to emerge like, you know, the Uber or whatever, or the taxi cabs in the outer boroughs. Well, we'll see a surge, but that's going to hurt, you know, everyone's pockets financially. So rents are going to have to go down because they're going to, you know, they're going to have to be able to compensate for that, that additional, um, cost of living. I mean, hand rents could go up. Because I was people, just going to say that. Yeah. People could come to. Manhattan uh, more. Well, and can you imagine where is the extra traffic going to go? There's already a major yeah. problem. Well, that, I mean, it's you just, know, just this weekend well, I made that comment. I was like, you know, maybe Manhattan, unless you live on Manhattan, your car should have to be parked outside of Manhattan. You have to take oh, public transportation in. You're in my head every day. Yeah. yeah. But if with this happening in Brooklyn, I mean, people are going to have to drive in. It's really wild. Well, you know, and and again, uh, you know, New Yorkers are resilient, and 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 Brooklynites are are certainly the same. So we'll get over it, and we'll get used to it. But I have to just imagine that traffic will increase. You know, the bridge traffic will increase, and the Lord knows what the extra traffic does to these these you know existing bridges that and are already too old and need repairs to begin with, like uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. And they're saying three years for the repair. Plus, I have Up friends and clients years. who've bought in that neighborhood, and some of them were sort of biting the bullet, being like, ah, maybe it's a little too hipstery, but, you know, great apartments, great views, great prices, and the L train is so convenient, right? Now, all of a sudden, those people who were so on the fence, and I know there are a lot of them, a yeah. lot of them, those people are really going to say, oh my gosh, like, I thought this was going to be easy, and that's why I moved out of Manhattan. I, I, I feel... 
I genuinely feel terrible. Going to do for wonders them. for Harlem, north of 96th Street. <laughs> that is very yes. true. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Very true. Good. A lot of development happening there too. You know, so. just want to be on the island. Always suffers, yeah. always yeah. changes. But you're, you're right. And again, yeah. you know, bringing that up, I, I was looking at listings up there recently. That seems to be you know surging again, Absolutely. and it seems to be yep. really getting hotter. Washington Heights. Washington Heights. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's a that's a territory up there. I call it a territory fondly. I call it a territory yes. that ever changes, you know, and yeah. it's it continues to slowly and then it stops and then it goes again and then it mm-hmm. stops. But I've noticed how all of a sudden it's becoming to surge again. And, you know, more more space for the dollar, you know, uh, different neighborhood. People are getting tired of the Midtown Madness, uh, all of the above. We have to take a break. We will be back for our last segment right after this. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back. We're talking to uh, Perul Brombat from Compass. Uh, Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray Blue Realty Group, uh, Niall Lundgren from Compass. So anyway, um, for some New Yorkers, an apartment is still all about its location. For others, the space inside matters a lot more than what's going on directly outside. So we ask New Yorkers, all things being equal, would you rather live in your dream apartment in a not-so-dreamy neighborhood or a less-than-ideal apartment in your ideal neighborhood? Now, this is, the, this is the million-dollar broker question, and I, as before I was a broker, you know, could answer the question. I can answer it again as a broker today. So how would you – and this is individual. So how would you respond to that question? Do you, do you want the best apartment in a okay building, okay neighborhood, or you want that location because eventually you know, it's going to you know, reap better rewards for you and you'll deal with the inside being uh, you know, not, so, <laughs> not so hot? I want it all. Mm-hmm. No. Well, of course you do. And you get older well, and you're a broker, especially you wait for it, you find it. But yeah, I think for the average, yeah. I'll say something quick because I bet we all have a lot to say. Now, hold on a minute. But I asked oh. this question. No, hold on. I asked this question only because it, 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 we get this from our clients all the time and, you know, we are better able to serve them if we know. Right. Well, right that's, answer. of course, I was going to talk about myself for two seconds go, and go, then go, answer go. your question. I think that you'll all agree it really tends to be age. It's age. 
So, you know, at first, I mean, if you're going to start a family, you have to have a neighborhood that's good. If you're young and you're afraid of New York, you have to be in a neighborhood that feels safe. If you're in the middle somewhere and you're radical and you're in your 20s and you don't give a SH, you can get a great place and live in a funky neighborhood. And then at some point, it's a piece of maturity, I think. So what's the answer? Well, I was hopping on both sides. You got to pick one, though. You got to pick one. No, I don't. Yes, Mm -hmm. you do. Yes, you do. You have to pick one. Oh, so personally or for the general public? Personally. Personally. She wants it all. I do want it all, and I have it. So at the end of the day, though, I know. So, well, no. At the end of the day, I will pick one. For health, for sanity, for wellness, in all ways, the inside of your home, of mine, is much more important. So there's my answer. I think it's Bill. such a personal decision, and it does say a lot about the person himself. And I always ask the question of my clients because it's a great way to understand what they're looking for. For me, it's always been the neighborhood. I've always been a neighborhood guy. I I, I can live in a little rat we hole. Te- we can tell that, right? He is definitely <laughs> yeah. a neighborhood I, guy. Uh, I, I walking around, hey, the guy in the deli, the deli guy, the bagel guy in the corner. Hey, what's up? I'm Phil. I can so see that. Perfect. When I was in Murray Hill, I was— Murray Phil, they call me. Oh, uh, no. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, but I, I love you. But I will ever. say, I will say that <laughs> Murray. <laughs> that's, but I will say, as I got a little older, now I have a kid. I will say the priority has changed a little bit, yeah. where you start to appreciate the space itself and how well that works for your family. But uh, the neighborhood for me. That's so funny. Phil and I are on the same wavelength today on a lot of things. Um, so I think you guys don't know what I'm going to say, right? I do. I know Vince does. Space. No, definitely <laughs> so space. So it's interesting because on the island of Manhattan, I'm all about the neighborhood. It's For me, it's all about walking out and having that feeling that I've made it because I come from humble beginnings. And I really just love, you know— for me, West Village, Greenwich Village, Upper West Side, all the best neighborhoods, that's where I feel the best about myself. When I purchase outside Manhattan, it's all about interior space for me because then it's the yin and yang and the sanity and everything that we really need to balance the crazy lives that brokers have because we need that. And when I was younger, I had lived in a 300-square-foot studio. We all I did. was single, didn't have a dog. <clears throat> we all did. So, you know, that <laughs> yeah. was easier. Yeah. And and now it's totally different. It's about space, fireplace that I have, which is not there's nothing better in the winter, and and a community, a sense of community. Um, and that really doesn't answer the question, but really I'm following community no, at this does. age Absolutely. going forward. It's yeah. Location. Wherever that is, I'm following mm-hmm. it. I like location for convenience. Yeah. That, that's really important, yeah. you know, to be able to hop out of your apartment and do whatever you want. I could sacrifice the the crazy space in the time being. So the typical New York story, we, you know, we all move in from somewhere at one point and we move into the city and it's about convenience uh, more than anything else. Yeah, like I you're mean, saying, I, move I, in from somewhere. I moved mm-hmm. in from Brooklyn. I had, right. you know, a 2,000 square foot duplex loft. I mean, tons of space. We, it took forever to get there, yeah. you know? It was great. It was cheap, everything. I'd rather pay, you know, four times was it what I'd pay. It was on the second floor. Mm-hmm. So it wow. wasn't that bad. Um, but it was a walk-up. Yeah, it was a walk-up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I still live in a walk-up. And it took you how long to get to the train? Um, what do you mean? to get to, well, every, Or to get to Every work. place that I lived have always been like a block from the subway. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. like walking Me too. Oh. blocks yeah. so and that's blocks the and avenues. I, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Can't do that. Uh, well... For the last 10 years, I've lived on 15th and 6th. 
And I have 14 Can't foot ceilings. Yeah, two fireplaces. Now the listeners know how to stalk you. So I know. That's good. Well, there's plenty of. <laughs> there are lots of buildings there over there. Live, yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> um, so, you know, but like, so I'm close to the subways. I'm really, like, I'm in Flatiron, one block from Chelsea, two blocks from the village, right? So my location is so central. I'm literally on top of every single subway line, and every subway line's within two blocks of me. Um, except for the J and the Z. Um, but so, if you had to choose, like so, you guys yeah, did so, to I mean, me. But I just have like, I have the ceilings, I have the fireplaces, and I have the location, and I'm so incredibly lucky, and I'm grateful every single day. But as a result of that, I just, I honestly am my worst client. I can't choose. Well, I just cannot and, choose. And I'm gonna Which s- is why I haven't moved in 10 years. <laughs> and I'm going to echo exactly what Perul said, because, yeah. you know, it always, for me, used to be location. It always used to be convenience. It always used to be, it has to be in a certain part of town, whatever. And I've lived all over this mm-hmm. this island, but I'm also in my apartment for 14 years, as I've yeah. you know said many, many, many times. And right now, as I've gotten older, for me, um, my apartment could be pretty much anywhere. Um, it's all about the space for me because when mm-hmm. I come home at night and I close my door, and especially on a weekend like we just had, and you couldn't go anywhere because it was a whiteout and it was a blizzard and yep. it was awful, I just loved being, being home. in my home, yep. in my space, where I had absolutely everything I could need. Uh, it's big. Room and it, for it, Jet to run around. Uh, everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I guess right now for me it would be the space. And that could be, if I'm happy in my space, it could be in any location. We've all heard mm-hmm. me say I want to live downtown, downtown, downtown West Village. I live on the Upper West Side. So maybe at some point I will get downtown. But, you know, every time I walk around my space and I look at my apartment, I think, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> who are you kidding? <laughs> you know, yeah. really. and, and to answer the question directly, I guess I am – I am compromising on neighborhood a little bit. In other words, I don't walk out of my apartment and I'm not on like the most beautiful street with lots of neighbors. I'm, if I wanted that, I downsized to a much smaller apartment in the West Village. That's actually what I did. So, so I, I so, downsized big right. to have that block. Right, right. <gasps> oh my so God. That's what but I, I, have, I still a have a bit really sweet space, which I couldn't live without. All right, we yeah. have one more topic, so let's move on. Oftentimes, scrolling through real estate listings, pictures makes us feel depressed about our current listing, you know, our current living situation. And now I'm talking from buyers out there, but certainly not all the time. So, you know, and this is a big pet peeve for me as a real estate agent, how important are photos when listing a new apartment on the market for either rent or sale, but for the most part, you know, uh, for sale. How many times do we have clients call us and say, hey, I saw this listing and the pictures look great, et cetera. How important? We've got two minutes left to go. I, real how quick, important? I spend so much time on the pictures. I think it's the most important thing probably. The most. The Agreed. most. And not just the pictures, but the order of the pictures. I spend mm-hmm. time on what the order is going to be yeah. mm-hmm. because you know people fast. They're looking through 20, 30 listings, and you want to make sure yours pops. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I spend a lot of time with the photographer in the apartment to make sure we got all the right angles and then mm-hmm. we'll set it back for edits. You know, We'll do what we have to do to make yep. sure. And also another thing is, big mistake, never, ever, ever, ever put your apartment on the market without pictures. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of brokers say, pictures coming soon. It is Mm-mm. the it is a terrible yeah. mistake. You want to get the biggest bang for your buck mm-hmm. the second that comes on the market. Yeah. Also, it should be a teaser to get people through the door. Right. It should be a teaser to get people through the door. It's not about letting people rule in or out the whole entire apartment by looking at it. Otherwise, you already lost the deal. Yeah, like don't 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 show the whole kit and caboodle, right? Just uh, you know, show show the yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh you don't my God. you don't need to show that. The show toilet that. shots. Yeah, <laughs> and some of the best photographers I find don't think of things and that's why it's a really good broker I am a crazy person at a photo shoot so I am literally I. move couches 
inches away from windows so right. you can mm-hmm. see the view. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. And you have to be because you have, you to, have be. to think of things outside we the box, the not thing. just color. How is this going to look? But the flow of the space. Can mm-hmm. you see the view? Can you see the floors? A lot of photographers take a lot of the ceiling and no floors, mm-hmm. which makes it look smaller. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that we end up um, being stagers, to mm-hmm. be honest. Don't have the Absolutely. blinds down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've never seen a picture with the blinds. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's not a bad. And that's not a bad thing well, to move things around and stage things because apartments, as they are sometimes, don't show well. Absolutely. And so we need to make enhance that look mm-hmm. with. Um, with moving things around, with better photographs. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Isn't it always funny, though, when you walk in with a buyer and you look at the pictures, too, and then you get there and it looks completely different? Yeah. And you're even oh. like, whoa, that, was, that, was, that threw me for a loop. You know? good, yeah. good job. That you got us here. Once. <laughs> Great job, buddy. I remember one conversation very quickly because we've got to go, but I said to somebody, well, you know what? When we photographed, we moved everything. I was honest. We moved everything around to make it look good. Mm. Now you're seeing it the way the, the family actually lives here. And they were not amused. Anyway, <laughs> that is our show for today. Uh, that's Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi. 